life. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2? In the Pew Bible, it will be page 978. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus made the statement as he was teaching that we are the salt of the earth. And in verse 14, he reiterated that a little differently by saying that we are the light of the world. And what Jesus was trying to get people to understand was the followers of Christ, those who have made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should act different from the way the world acts. Now that doesn't mean we need to be weird or goofy, but it means that Jesus Christ living within us produces results in our way of living that people who haven't made a profession of faith in the Lord don't have. And the Apostle Paul in his writings to Timothy and to the church at Galatia and to the church at Corinth he elaborated or um, he um, expounded on these attributes that we as Christians should be living out in our life. Uh, one of those is in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I think I told you that's page 978. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Beg your pardon? 2 Timothy, thank you. I don't know why I got that one wrong, okay. Page 1084. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And a servant of the Lord, and the word servant there does not mean in bondage without being able to escape. This is a willing submission to the will of God. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. In other words, these are attributes that we should have. Be gentle to all, able or quick to teach, and patient. Now let's go to Galatians chapter 5. I've got that down as page 1063. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to go to verse 22. Is my page right there? Okay. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the, the result of Jesus Christ living within you is love and joy and peace. In other words, just like not quarrelsome, long-suffering, that's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, there's that word gentle again, self-control against such there is no law. Now, go with me one more time to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I believe that's page 1047. First Corinthians 13, and I'm going to start in verse 4. Love is patient. There it is again. And kind. There's kindness. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices 
whenever truth wins out. These are attributes that believers in Christ are supposed to show in their life as Christians. But the problem is with some of these attributes is they're nebulous, they're unclear, they're hazy, they're kind of vague. I mean, what would mean being kind to one individual might mean something totally different to someone else. One person may not think they're being haughty or, or self-centered, while others may think they really are. And so for the next several weeks, I'm going to take you on a journey into the lives of six people. Two slaves, two kings, a wife and a preacher, and I'm just going to throw in the muddy water to make it exciting. And through the lives of these people, I am hoping to make some of these attributes less vague and more real to you and, and maybe to, to help you in living out your, your Christian walk. And so I'd like you to turn with me today to 2 Kings chapter 5, page 332, I believe. 2 Kings, Old Testament, chapter 5. And I'm going to start in verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because of by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. And then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so Naaman departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And then Naaman brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I a god to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please, let Naaman come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, 
he will surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not, and then he names two rivers that are back in the country of Syria, better than all the rivers of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so Naaman turned and went away in rage. And the servant came to him and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the sayings of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. That's quite a story, and normally, traditionally, this story is connected with healing. But I want you to see the lives of the six people involved in this narrative and how they responded to different situations. Let's start in verse 2 and 3, if we don't mind, in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. Now, in the Hebrew, the word young girl means infancy to adolescence. And the word young, or the prefix on it, means that she was probably uh, in her preteen or teen years. And here was a girl in her teen or probably teen years whose life in one, one dramatic moment was changed forever. She was ripped from her home during a, a, a raid by the Syrians, probably separated from her parents. If her father chose uh, to defend the family, he was, she may have seen him killed. If she had brothers, it was very possible she saw them killed or carried off. And although the Bible doesn't tell us, probably her mother, like the daughter, was taken into captivity. Her whole life had changed. She was now in a foreign country, having to learn a foreign language and, and foreign customs. She was forced into servicehood, servanthood with the possibility of, of never seeing her family again, probably never having a family of her own, or being able to accomplish any of the dreams that she might have had as a, as a young child. And now she was serving in the house of the commander of the Syrian army, Naaman. Now let's look a little bit about him real quickly. In um, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Great and honorable. So what that means is his master was the king. He was the top dog over the whole army. And that means that the king knew him probably pretty well. It says he was an honorable man in the eyes of his master, because the, by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. In other words, he wasn't an armchair general. He was out there fighting, and he knew what it was like to be in battle. And then it says, 
but a leper. But I like the Hebrew better because the, the Hebrew goes this way. He was a mighty man of valor, a leper. That's all it says, a leper. In other words, that's it. Here was this great man and, and um, boy, he was a man of valor. He was honorable and a leper. Now, I think it's different. It's interesting that in Israel, if you were a leper, you were ostracized from the community. When you went to the market, you had to holler out, unclean, unclean. And you were on your own. But here, in a country not serving God, you could have leprosy and be high in society. Now, this young lady was serving in this household. And I don't think there was anybody around that would have blamed this young lady if she would have kept her mouth shut about Naaman's leprosy and the prophet Elijah's God-given gift of healings. I mean, to, to human nature, it, it would have been very easy for her to keep her mouth shut and to have thought evil about Naaman and his plight. In other words, he probably getting what he deserves. I mean, after all, he had taken her from her home. He had separated her from her family. And from all intents and purposes, he had destroyed any future that she may have had. And yet, verse 4, Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Wow. One of the main traits that we as Christians are supposed to show in life is forgiveness. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13 says that a Christian keeps no track of wrongdoings. And when Peter came to Jesus and said, so how many times am I supposed to give, forgive? Seven times seven? And Jesus said, no. Seventy times seven. And in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Father, forgive me, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And here she was, a slave in a foreign land. Who more than her would have the right to remain silent and, and to believe that Naaman was getting his just dues? And yet, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Let me ask you a question this morning. 
How do you as a Christian deal with those who have injured you or one of your loved ones? When you see them in the aisle of a supermarket or a store, do you find another aisle to go down so you could avoid them? Or if you accidentally bump into them, does that false smile cross your face? And do you find some convenient way to excuse yourself very quickly? What about when their name comes up in a conversation? Oh, you may not say anything, but can people tell by the tone of your voice or the roll of your eyes or your body language just how you feel? Or maybe when something bad happens to them or to their family, does that thought cross your mind that Maybe they're getting some of what they deserve. Church, I love you, and these are hard questions, but they need to be asked. Whenever we don't forgive, whenever we keep account of past wrongdoings, all we do is shackle ourselves to that in incident, and we become imprisoned by the pain that its memory in inflicts upon us, and we relive that pain over and, and over and over again. Well, why do I have to be the first to forgive? Because the Bible tells us that God forgave us first. As a matter of fact, in Romans 5 and 8, the Apostle Paul said, but God proves his love for us in that while we were sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love you. And I know what it's like to hang on to feelings and be held in prison by that, that pain. In closing, let me summarize something for you. I want to summarize Jesus' last few hours before his death. They spit in his face. They blindfolded him. They mocked him, called him names. They beat him. They struck him with the palm of his hands. They struck him with reeds. They stripped him of his clothes. They put a woven, a woven crown of thorns on his head and took reeds and struck him on that crown of thorns. And they gave him sour wine and poison to drink. And yet, one of the last words that Jesus spoke before he died was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, I don't know what hurt you've been through in your life. I don't know what evil deed may have been done to you or, or to one of your loved ones. But I can tell you this much, this morning you can be free from being imprisoned by that incident. And, and the pain of its memory by simply saying,
I forgive. And then as the Apostle Paul, forgiving even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, I love your word. It gives us examples of of how we can live our life so that we free ourselves from the traps that Satan would try to catch us and hold us in. How we would try to inflict pain upon us and shackle us to the past. When through Christ you've set us free from that. And there may be some today here. There may be some listening to this on podcast or CDs. Who like this servant girl have had wrong done to them or to some of their loved ones. And they're tied to that memory. Lord, I'd ask this morning that you would help them. Help them to simply say, I forgive. And then as the days go by and that memory would try to resurrect itself, help them to remember that Christ, that God forgave them through Christ long before they ever came to the knowledge of him. And let them stand firm in that. Just as God has forgiven me, I forgive. And they'll know a freedom that only comes from aligning themselves with your word. And the majesty and the grace that was given to us at Calvary. We thank you for that freedom this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.